This is Jordan Grace, and you're listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. BWB, this is One Nation Radio. You better get it right. Rich Ladder James Boy came to give him life. The blackest wrestling podcast has come to kick all ass and drop it six feet if they're kicking trash. Word, let me welcome y'all to something different. And if you dig it, man, you should let some friends listen. We be getting it in this on the regular, dude. Ravish and flow, but this shit rule. See, James don't rap, so I had to break it down. The whole network, man, we coming for the crown. Raps in the columns, I keep them both covered Making the beats too, so the listeners can bump it Hit us with the rating, yeah, I'm saying it's a five Before you hit a talk, bob your head side to side It's One Nation Radio, and this is the beginning It's Rich, and I'm here with James It's time to listen to One Nation The power of the this is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Uh, this is Kenny Omega. We're listening to One Nation Radio. Check it out, guys. These guys know what's up. Big Kenny Omega fans. That's all it counts to me. gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of One Nation Radio. I'm James Boyd, and this week we have a solo edition. It's just me, myself, and I. Uh, Rich will be back next week. He has some things he had to take care of, and we'll um, we'll catch up with him next week on the next show. Um, but I guess we just get into it. The NBA Finals are coming up tomorrow. Feature the Milwaukee Bucks and the I almost said Philadelphia, the Phoenix Suns. Um, I don't know who had that uh, going into the season and who bet it on uh, that matchup, but whoever did, um, I liked some lotto numbers as well because I didn't expect this. Um, I was one of the few people, I think, uh, that thought highly of the Suns with the additions of Chris, of course, and with um, uh, sorry, uh, Crowder, Jay Crowder. And I thought that they were going to be a four or five seed in the West. Ended up being a two seed. Had to do with Anthony Davis injuries and um, Jamal Murray injuries. But um, that's what that's what it ended up being. Um, they're a team that is overachieved. They're a team that is a lot better and more talented than I thought they were. I thought that Aiden was going to be a very good player. I did not have any idea that he was going to look like a person that's going to make like five to eight all-star teams over the next 10 years. I didn't see that coming. I didn't foresee that. Um, I thought he had that kind of potential, but the way his came across and everything, he's even better and and further ahead of schedule than I thought he was. Um, I thought that Booker and Chris together were just going to be a dynamite duo, and they've shown to be that. On the other end, you look at uh, the Bucks, and I'm happy for them. Um, This is a team that went into the offseason – with their biggest star since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In <laughs> uh, unrestricted free agency. And he didn't go into it. He decided, I'm re-signing. Um, and that is especially um, special given the way that they have gone out of the playoffs the last two years. Um, for him to have the kind of faith in management and coaching, quite frankly, um, that they were going to get this done. Um, and for him to see that through, that, that was a big leap of faith and it's paid off for them. And that's a, that's a big thing for a lot of the teams around the league and small, smaller markets, which is most of the league that are always f- afraid of 
them drafting somebody, them getting the next MVP, all NBA, multiple time all-star type person, and then they can't get it right in a certain number of years. And that per- and that player then says, hey, it's been real. It's time for me to go. You can look at James Harden in the offseason. You can look at how every single team in the league has been looking at Bradley Bill for the last 18 months. <laughs> um but they're here now, and by hook or by crook injuries or whatever in this season that has uh, been crazy, they got there, and hopefully Giannis can make it into the playoffs. He had the knee injury in Game 4 against the Hawks, and it was, you know, I, I didn't see it, but it looked, but people have told me it, it looks graphic. People thought his season was done, and it was going to be what's happening in 2023, as opposed to 2021, or 2022, but... um. They're they're here now, and after watching that, the in the game seven against um the Nets, where everybody just just killed themselves to get to um the next round, I have a huge amount of respect for Middleton. I've always had a huge amount of respect of respect for Tucker dating back to the the Houston days, um playing small ball four, and being a corner shooter, defensive assignment guy, tough as nails, hustle guy. I've always I've always appreciated his game from a team perspective, and. I, quite frankly, like you know, we didn't think this was going to be the finals we were going to get, but I'm happy that both of these teams made it for diff- a various different amount of reasons. Um, and I guess I'll just get into it now. Um, Rich knows this. I don't know if I, we really talked that much to even really get into this, but Chris Paul is my uh, out of the active players in the league. He's my second favorite basketball player that's still active. Um, behind LeBron, of course. He's a guy that... Um, I think Ryan Wasillo recently said it the best. You turn on these games, on league league pass games, national television, the playoffs, whatever, and you just hope that whoever you're watching gives a shit. And Chris Paul, as much as virtually anybody um, in the last 20 years of basketball, has given a shit. He's given a shit to a part two in a way that has been detrimental. Um... If you look at his career, if you look, if you are a person that is a naysayer, a person that is a non-believer, a person that is negative on Chris Paul, the things that you don't like are the way he is always trying to scam you when you're in the bonus or to get to the bonus at the, in the back halves of quarters by getting the ball in transition, stopping on a dime in the and the goofy center that's trying to hustle up the court to try to catch the uh, the trailing big man that he's behind just runs him over because he stops on a on a on a dime and it's a, it's a foul. Take the ball out and you're in the bonus. I understand that he makes the game less enjoyable to watch from a foul hunting perspective. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm the person that is okay with a NFL team passing every single down because it's the most efficient strategy to try to win the game. Like. The only thing that I don't really like in, in terms of the Bush League of uh, in NBA basketball is like hack a shack. Like you're that's that's garbage. That's garbage. But outside of that, the foul hunting stuff that Trey Young does, that James Harden does, the flopping that uh, you know people like LeBron, Chris Paul, you know the a lot of the European of our European brothers, um, Pat Bev, the flopper as well. Cam Artis Payne's flopper as well. Um, I find that to be a, a bit of gamesmanship. I find it to be, hey, contact was made here. 
no way this ref saw this. I, I've, we've played enough basketball. We know where these refs are on the court from experience. I'm going to embellish to then get a call. Um, Chris Paul is in the top two all time of that. <laughs> and for if you don't like that, I completely understand. I don't encourage it. But I do believe that it goes in his DNA of he's so driven to win that he is willing to stoop to these levels. I'm not saying that you have to respect it. I'm just saying that I I understand that's a part of him and I'll take all the other stuff he does along with that. Um, he's somebody that um, the nerds, advanced metrics, numbers people love because you look at his <laughs> you look at his PR, you look at his win shares, uh, his net rating, offensive defensive uh, complete per per 100 possessions, all that kind of stuff. He's always one of the all time greats in that uh, category. And then the, his detractors, along with the, the fact they don't like his uh his tactics will then go to he does all of this crap and his numbers make it like he's like the seventh greatest basketball player of all time that does not drive i agree i do not think chris paul is the seventh greatest basketball player of all time or in the top 10 i think that's preposterous as well um what i do think is he is the best prototypical point guard since isaiah thomas so that's effectively like the last 25 to 30 years um I think that he also has not done any favors by the fact that the position has changed over the years. So he looks like a dinosaur. It's kind of like looking at Tim Duncan when, you know, obviously we put a column power forward. He was a center, whatever. But you look at like, he was like the last of a dying breed until pretty much Jokic and Embiid came back around. Right. Whereas like his game, he kind of feels kind of stale, but you go, you look at wherever he's been, he's always made every team he's been on better. He was left for dead um, in 2019 when he got traded with picks and pick swaps for Russell Westbrook uh, to Oklahoma City. And lo and behold, they lose Russell Westbrook, a future first battle Hall of Famer, MVP. And they lose Paul George, who before his shoulders went down, was one of the top eight or so best players before he hurt his shoulders um, at that point in his career. They both lose them. They get Chris Paul and Shea Gilchrist Alexander, young Shea Gilchrist Alexander, and they win more games. He's that kind of guy to where, regardless if you don't like him, and it's understandable if you don't like him, regardless of his injuries at crucial leverage points in series, like that 2018 West Conference Finals, the disastrous 2015 uh, was or semifinals against the Rockets when they blew the 3-1 lead when he missed the first two games with a hamstring thing and he came back and then went on with the shit. He's a person that he, his fatal flaw is he'll try too hard at times and in uh, that he, injuries. But he is somebody that has stayed the course and in year 16, he's in the finals for the first time and I'm happy for him. Win, lose, or whatever else because... I remember, I think it was Howard Bryant. He was discussed talking about all-time great players, all sports. He pointed out something I found, found to be interesting. This was about, maybe like a couple months ago. He pointed out that, I don't know if it was his observation he was saying this is something that someone else said, but I remember him saying, I can't remember who he credited to it, but he, his point was, in pretty much every team sport, the best players individual players in those sports 
eventually at one point in their career make it to at least a championship round of every in every sport without with very few like um with very few times that doesn't happen so i'm happy that he finally gotten to this level um i think that from a legacy standpoint you could point out all the stuff i've just talked about that we went over just now in talk about like his greatness as a person that sets the table and regardless of what you think of him his teams have historically always over delivered in the regular season and in crunch time because because of one one simple thing you're always going to get a shot on shot on a possession with him whether it's foul shots whether it's a bat was a three-pointer whether it's whatever mid-range whatever he doesn't turn the ball over. His teams historically are always at the bottom of the of the uh, league in turnovers. He's going to get shot on the rim, and they're going to run something. And you look at this hawk, it's a Hawks. You look at this Suns team, and even when they were struggling against the Clippers with Beverly hounding, hounding Booker, for all the people that that on the Westbrook joke about he be tricking y'all into thinking he's good. Well. You look at what Booker struggled with. You look at what Westbrook struggles with in the playoffs. At high pivotal moments against that dude. He can do that to you. But the thing with the, with the Suns is, even when their offense is working, they're always eventually running something. It's very rare you're going to get multiple possessions where it's just garbage out there. And you don't know what the hell they're doing in like a college offense. And they're fun to watch uh, from that perspective. Um, moving over to the Bucks. It's a big moment for, for uh, Giannis. If he can come back or whatever else, a big moment for Middleton. Like, they stayed the course. I, I think, you know, as far as uh, Bun- or Budenholzer and his, uh, his uh, what do you say, uh, thin ice he's on, I think it got a little, you know, I think it got a little easier for him to, you know, keep this job if they don't win. Like, I don't really see a scenario where they lose and they have to fire him. I thought if they lost to the Hawks, they would have had to fire him because... There are not many adjustments being made. They're lo- they're far more talented than them. It would have been embarrassing if they lost to them. Like the Hawks, it's a nice run for the Hawks, but that looks like one of those things where we're gonna look back in like three years and be like, and we're gonna blame and throw point at Trey Young and say, how come you can't you got this team to the Eastern Conference Finals one time? How come you can't get them out the second round anymore? And you're gonna look back and be like, well, that team wasn't really that good, and they were they played the right. Uh, team at the right time with the right superstar that absolutely was terrified to be on the floor in crunch time and it was just that was that simple um but as far as the uh the bucks in the sun series i think i'll probably take the suns in six um depending on when Giannis comes back if he can come back uh apparently he was practicing for the first time on on a basketball court um today but i don't know i don't i just don't see them having enough oomph without Giannis um obviously like without having a two-time MVP the defending or not defending anymore but uh the MVP of uh, the previous two seasons I, I just think it's really hard I think I think Chris Paul gets his one and I think it's a story that's just as simple as time it's a uh, an all-time great at the tell in their career fighting while still contributing at a high level and um chasing a ring not chasing a ring that's that's the pejorative way but like 
getting the ring before it t- becomes a chasing ring thing where he's on his like you know at the end of a bench. So, um, I think it'll do a lot for uh, for Chris Paul's legacy. I think this is probably the be the could be the biggest potential per- turn for a superstar since maybe Dirk won a title in two thousand eleven. Um, he was another person that you look at his career stats, but you look at the landscape of the league and it just doesn't seem to have, um, came together in that same way where you look at his advanced numbers and he looks like an all, you know, top 10, 15 ish type of player. But you look at the landscape and you think he played in the same league as Tim Duncan and, and KG. I don't think he was on that level. And then you look back at it and you look at the, like at those teams and then you think of how he broke through and what he did to get to the to that level and you're like it make you it make you question some things about maybe we're too hard on somebody or whatever but um but yeah i guess uh that's in for the finals preview <laughs> um but uh one thing before we move on to wrestling we'll talk about this uh another part of the nba a nba book recently came out called can't not hustle and it's a long title but that's the basic uh title is written by matt sullivan and it covers Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, when they when they both left their respective teams, the um, Warriors and the Celtics, to join in Brooklyn with the Nets, and um, it covers the machinations of that and covers uh, what what kind of power they wield and the dynamics of uh, the organizations along with uh, them over the from 2020 to now. The 2020 season till now, um, it's really interesting. To look, um, and quite, I, I thought that like the exit for Kyrie from Boston was something that people always want to know. How did it go so bad? You hear some things about him and Jalen Brown, um, but you you read or you see some of the excerpts or you see or some of the uh, interviews from the from the guy Matt Sullivan who wrote the book, who was with uh, Kyrie and Katie at different points um, over the last couple years and um, covering the story. And it's really interesting. And, you know, like Kyrie's one of those guys where like, he says so many out there things that people do not like them. And and once also another thing, once you cross Boston, Boston, there's so many Boston media guys in ESPN like that. That's going to carry a lot of weight. (laughs) Um, So to get a, get a, you don't really know what Kyrie is. He's so, uh, um, closed up, um, from, because, you know, he, he doesn't really like the media or, you know, um, and, and different things rightfully and wrongfully. Um, there's been situations where I thought things were overblown. Um, but I think the retelling or some of the news from it, as far as, uh, his grandfather had died. There's a person that, um, had their mother die at a very young age. Um, and it made them realize that like, you know, basketball is secondary. Life is more important. And he thought about what can make him happy. And he thought about the history of Boston and a conversation. You know, he had a conversation with Bill Russell as well. And Bill Russell told him he always thought himself as playing for the Celtics, not Boston. And, you know, then he decided you know, one day, uh, with Kyrie or Durant was over, uh, Durant was, uh, plotting his course and they decided to link up and, you know, more or less the rest of history from that perspective. And I thought it was interesting how, you know, knowing that as opposed to just thinking like, 
they've had this plan for like you know like like a lot of people think that uh, the, since 2008 uh, like Wade Bosch and LeBron had it planned to leave it's interesting to note it's like nah he had his mind set on actually like sticking to what he said in that press conference about he wanted to be a Celtic but then things changed because his, fa- his granddad died and they had a different perspective like basketball's not everything and it becomes what what do you want in life so um, I thought it was interesting I thought some of the stuff with uh, <laughs> um, Durant and um, his conversation with Steve Kerr um, and how, how millennial he is in a way. Like, just he can't put down the phone and just take in all the things people have to say with him on social media, about him on social media. And I, I hope that he's, fi- you know, eventually figures out a way to make peace with that or figures out a way to break that because... He's one of the he's one of the ten all time talents in this sport, and like by the time his career is over, he's gonna be one of the 13, 14, 12 bat greatest basketball players of all time. He's already there, right? Everything else after this is icing on the cake. But um, I just hope that he can find a way to make peace with the rest of his career because you look at what you know what Scotty's doing right now, and whether or not Scotty is right or wrong, it does it does reek of bitterness. Um, like he never really got away. He never really got over the fact that he was never better than Michael Jordan. And I think that if you can't, if you're one of the 30 greatest basketball players of all time, you can't get over being, not being better than Michael Jordan. And bro, like, I'm sorry. Like that's a rough life because like, ain't nobody's ever, no one's ever going to give you that. No one's ever going to give you that. And I hope that KD can get over like trying to clap back at some dude with like 150 followers that's, that's talking shit. I just really do. Um, but yeah, like uh, I'll put a link into the description of uh, the interview that Dan Lebatard did with uh, Guy. Um, and if you want to pick up the book, fine. But I'm definitely gonna order the book. Um, but I, I thought it was just really illuminating, uh, like what what it is when you like if you're a top NBA level player and you can just fully just flex your muscle, what you can accomplish. Um, we're a far cry from people losing their mind over a decision. We we really are like. Uh, to a lot of people, they are villains, but it's never the same where people got to worry about someone running on the court and worry if they got a knife, even though they got patted down uh, at the metal detector. But uh, I guess now it's time to transition over to pro wrestling. I finally caught up. I finally caught up. Um, pretty much after Double or Nothing, I was behind on all of the Wednesday Dynamite, or sorry, not Wednesday Dynamites, but like the weekend Dynamite stuff on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, I caught up on the NXTs as well, and caught up on Stardom. So I, I guess um, I guess we start with um, what we missed from not doing a show last week. We start with the round of cuts from this month in WWE. Um, it's, it feels like it's, it feels like it's every month. There's another round of cuts. I think it was about 14 people. Um, Tony Nese, Arya Davari, uh, Everize, Fandango, um, Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Mobley, the writer that had just got hired, um, and then got fired. Um, August Gray, who, uh, was jobbing on NXT, um, Tyler Breeze, long, NXT Hall of Famer, um, Tyler Breeze, Balua Boys, Arturo Ruas, or Huas, um, Kurt Stallion, Marina Shafir, um, Killian Dane and Tino Sabatelli. Uh, it's crazy. Um, 
Fandango seemed like somebody. Fandango and Breeze both seemed like somebody that like we're going to have jobs forever in NXT um, or just around. Um, and now they're gone. Um, I know Breeze has um, been running a his own wrestling um, um, training uh, thing for a minute. Um, I don't know, you know, what his plans are. I don't know what anybody's plans are out of this group of people that have been um, cut. Tony Nese is, you know, former. I mean, he won the cruiserweight title at WrestleMania uh, a couple years ago. Um, kind of crazy. Um, Davari, the two, as Rich calls him, uh, the two hundred five legend, the two hundred five live legend. Um, Everize, uh, just a just a group of jobbers that they've had for, to be comedy geeks for the last, you know, seemingly year and a half on TV. There was a time um, in late of last year where they were, it seemed like they were on TV every single week and like the show was struggling, and I was wondering why they were there. Um, hate to see him be fired. Um, but I thought they, as a comedy act, they were better, a better use outside the ring than in the ring. They kind of figured out when they were doing the ever rise rules thing, um, where they were sneaking in for goofy little segments, almost kind of reminiscent of like the, the, uh, Fatch police, but, um, lo and behold, both of those teams are gone. Um, Bollywood boys. I mean, <sighs> general holds his entire, like, he owes everything to those two. They're taking those bumps in being at least the most, being the most interesting thing in like any of his uh, of that title run he had that he never should have had in 2017. Um, sucks that they're going. I felt like, you know, they could have been around to do take bumps for everybody. Like Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton killed them. It was, it was, it was, um, it, it was, you know, interesting. Um, the most interesting thing, uh, gender ever did. Um, Marina Shafir, it stinks. It never worked out. Um, with her and Jessamine, um, even though it, it, it should have, they just they never got enough TV time or enough reps um, in the Largo loop to make it work. It's unfortunate. Killian Dane, Killian Dane was in that goofy thing with uh, Drake Maverick, and like they actually became like a decent tag team. They had decent matches. Killian Dane was always a person that tried hard. Ever since he came back to NXT in 2019, when for some reason he was going over Matt Riddle before we knew about Matt Riddle, but um, it sucks that he's gone. Um, married to Nikki Cross, uh, another couple, you know. Um, it is interesting to hear about the Nick, the uh, the Nick Khan thing, where like he doesn't care about storylines, doesn't care about relationships. Cut the fat. I'll take the heat for all of it. I don't care. Um, and. You know, a lot of these people, um, in the last, you know, in recent times, like they were, do- they got squashed or destroyed. Like Fandango got destroyed by, um, Imperium. Um, Everize got their ass whooped by, um, Hit Row. Um, you know, so you kind of have an idea that about around the time when they decided they were going to get these people off TV in a, a certain kind of, um, exacting way. So, um, hope for the best for all of them. Um, a lot of talent, a lot of, a lot of them going to like refill the indies or, you know, end up on, end up somewhere else on TV, like impact or NWA or AEW. Um, and a lot of these people are talented. So especially me, especially, you know, um, breeze. So, um, Bollywood boys, like there's a, there's an immediate BT thing right there to Bollywood boys. Like you're the young bucks. We're the young bucks. What now? Like, so, um, hope for the best for all of them. Tino Sabatelli, like, a lot of injuries, former NFL player. Um, yeah, um, it sucks, and it doesn't seem like it's the end of it, even though with this is, like, the third wave this year, it feels like. Maybe the fourth wave. Maybe I'm getting a wave. Um, but they're on the way to having more waves of firings, and um, 
than like waves of COVID we had. So, um, whatever IPO is going up, I, I think, I don't even know. I haven't looked, but yeah, uh, it sucks for, it sucks for the industry. Um, I guess it's now the time to talk about the actual wrestling. Um, I guess we'll talk about the last two episodes of dynamite, uh, in particular, uh, three matches. Uh, the first match will be we'll talk about will be the um, or we, we as if it's two people just me I'll talk about is uh, the Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy title match from sat last Saturday, um, fantastic match just a fantastic match um, one of the better matches in AEW history um, I'm kind of getting tired of AEW doing the the the, uh, the goofy finishes but um, whatever um, Kenny Omega hand had one of these in a minute. Um, not because he couldn't just because, uh, they didn't want to, especially on pay-per-view when they book a three-way, but like, I just find it more enjoyable to watch him in a single setting than a tag setting or a, a multiple person setting. Um, and I think he got a lot of jungle boy. I think it was perfect match. Like they didn't give you too much to make you think it's overkill. That it was ridiculous that jungle boy actually really, you know, um, was going to do it. I think you save that for a later time where you put in the spot, you know, uh, or segment the match to where you feel like he can get a run to make you really battle on it. But, you know, like he is someone that is great, but he's facing someone just better than him. And um, he got one wing angel and neither. Like, I like the fact that he was able to escape the one wing angel once. Um, I think he slapped on the snare trap at the time. Um, there were two great uh, near falls. I think one of them got scooted by the cameraman where they, you know, cut to... Gallows and Anderson, while, you know, the champion is in slapped in a submission, desperate to make the ropes, and it kind of <laughs> killed the crowd. It took the crowd from, like, an 11 to, like, a 7. Uh, and I don't know why they decided to do that, but um, either way, I thought it was a great match. I think it was a great match for Jungle Boy. He really needed that. I, I really hope that he gets into and breaks into the uh, TNT title um, discussion, uh, the title picture at some point, because... He'd be a great person to, to put with Miro and be the person to topple Miro. Um, I think Miro's, uh, since we're now talking about him, I think that this run where he just fought um, Evil Uno and then he fought Pillman, I really enjoyed it. I, I really, uh, the Pillman match was very short and didn't go very long, but like I just like the juice that he has. I, I'm not necessarily th- saying that he's having the greatest matches in the world, but like, he just feels so much better and more believable. And I feel like we're kind of on the track that we kind of had with him where he started to get over um, with me and Rich late 2014, where it was like, I don't like, yes, I get the push or whatever else, but like, I'm not really compelled when he actually, when the bell rings. And then he got in the ring with a Mark Henry, he got in the ring with a, a big, e, big E Langston at the time. And that's when I, that's when I started to re- realizing like, Oh, okay, I get it now. And like, I'm actually enjoying what he's doing. Like, this this run that he's had since the TNT title has just been really fun in the ring. Like I, as far as the Redeemer gimmick, where he's like almost like a, a religious zealot, I could take or leave. But like I do appreciate the energy. He he is giving. I'm going to fuck you up. Energy. Um. So, uh, you know who knows what's next for him? Who knows who's next for Jungle Boy? Um. Like you can do whatever with Jungle Boy. You can make him the next tag team champions with Lucha Sword if they wanted to. They can make him. TNT champion, like, they got a lot of options with him because he's just hot as fish grease, he just really is, and they're doing it with a dude that doesn't talk at all, like, they have Christian doing the talking for him, they have Luchasaurus doing more talking than him, they have, his opponent do, talks about how he doesn't talk, and it's okay, because, like, 
he's just a likable person. And I think that is like the, the simplest thing with wrestling is like, there are people that are just inherently likable in wrestling. And if you go with it and you, and if you nurture it, it gets, gets over. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if this person can't, you know, cut, cut a promo like Adam Cole. It doesn't matter. If this person, um, can't like Russell, like Roger strong. If you, if, if you have something that's inherently likable about you and your baby face, if it's nurtured, right. And it's taken care of you, all it is just gas to, uh, to a flame. And, um, well, gas to a flame. So, I guess we're time. I don't. I don't want to transition to the Gulf of Mexico, but like, yeah, <laughs> gas to flame. <laughs> uh, um. So yeah. Uh, other match I want to talk about is Eddie Kingston and Pentagon or Penta El Ceramero versus the Young Bucks. Um, I think this was the best Young Bucks match of their slow descent along with Kenny Omega into some of the worst facial hair, uh, on television, but, um, I really enjoyed his match. Um, just Kingston works very well with the young bucks. Um, he doesn't kill them, but because he's so much bigger than them, like it looks like he's just mauling these guys at times. Um, I think they do a good job with him. No selling, no selling at times with them. Um, the young bucks in Pentagon, like that's a match made in heaven. Like, how many how many great matches do you need with Pentagon in a setting with Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson for you to for you to realize like it's gonna go off without a hitch? Um, it's just it or Pit, it's just it, it's just destined to be great whenever they get in the ring together. Those three with any other amalgamation, whether it's Pac, whether it's Kingston, whether it's Phoenix, it's just gonna work. Um, so I I thought that uh, they did a good job foiling interference in getting the win and they're going to have another match for the titles. I think I said road rager this coming week, I believe. Um, but either way, I think that match would be better than the match he just had, but it was a great match. I ended up giving it, uh, I think gave it four flat. Um, but it was, it was a fun opener match opening match. Um, and, and it involving like the young bucks doing their goofy macho man stuff. Um, but anyway, we'll move on. Um, Match I really want to get to, third match. Um, the main event of the last episode of Dynamite. MJF versus Sammy Guevara. Um, there is something in MJF to where when he wrestles somebody that is in that same under 27 or 28 class of young up-and-comers, whether it's, we've seen it with... Um, Jungle Boy, we just saw it with Sammy, and we'll probably see it one day with Darby, but he stops being a freaking carny from from Memphis, and he starts fucking wrestling, modern style wrestling, or or wrestling that, that people want to see, you know, that travel travel wrestling, if you will, travel indie wrestling, if you will. And it's just a blast to watch when he decides to like really, really wrestle as opposed to do this fucking 80s stuff with cosplay shit with, uh, with Cody or whatever else. It's just really fun. Um, I think that's when he's at his best. He pretty much seemingly only does it like once a year. So maybe he should, maybe he should break it out like every review. Just a thought, just a thought perhaps. But, um, it was a blast to watch. I thought that Sammy's out of his goddamn mind. Um, 
the spot that he does where he gets MJF over the barricade, number concrete and chairs and fans, goes to the top rope, and he front flips, front flip dives over the barricade onto MJF. MJF barely has to catch that torpedo <laughs> and also land on that concrete and he and also like not you know bounce his head off the off the uh concrete like Matt Hardy did uh against Sammy Guevara of all people. Um and you, you see you see it and you see Sammy get up and you see how bruised up his uh his hip is and his and his thigh you're just like gotta protect your hips man gotta protect your hips you want to do this for a long time like that 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 kind of trauma that will that'll fuck you up like bad hips bad bad hips more or less like bad spine um eventually over time but um they did it i hated the interference at the end um i wish they had just let mjf beat him it's fine like i know they wanted to give this the, the 630 hope spot or whatever else but there is a story in saying that like he can beat him eventually if he just hits his one move. Like that is classic wrestling. If the the babyface can win this match, can overcome if he can just hit his move in the eventual next match. Um, I don't think it would have hurt Sammy to lose to MJF. MJF is one of the most well protected people in AEW and in North American pro wrestling. Um, I think it'd have been I think it'd been okay. Um, but they decided to go that route. It was a huge damper for me, but I I love the match. I think you know I think I enjoyed that match up until the finish more than the Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy match. Um, I think they're doing too many run-ins, but they kind of been doing too many run-ins ever since Kenny Omega won the title. Um, like, you know, cherish your four and a quarter, four and a half star match. And like, if they could have gotten rid of some of this nonsense or whatever else, maybe he could have gotten to four and three quarters, but whatever it's TV wrestling. Um, but hell great matches. Um, as far as, uh, the future for AEW, um, they, I like that video that they did, um, talking about their year and change in Jacksonville and Georgia, um, with no fans for most of it. And, um, you know, it looks like TV wise, like almost like, I wouldn't say the level they were before, you know, the pandemic came because that was fish reside. That was all time wrestling. But, um, it looks like there's they save some things to then ramp up in quick succession going to um, all out uh, to get that kind of television on the road to all out. I think that this road to get to Omega and page is going to be special. I think that this Jericho MJF match is going to be a pivotal for the future of the company um, over the next 18 months, whenever we get it. Um, I think that FTR versus Santana Ortiz is going to be potentially like the beginning of the best like non Young Bucks feud in uh, tag team AEW history. Um, I'm I'm, I'm I, I think a lot of signs pointing up for a or for AEW going into the next um, couple months. Um, like I, I would love Moxie to be back. Like I think that the Cody in QT or sorry Q, or Cody slumming it with QT needs to stop, but. Um, you know, and the women's division could do a little work, could, could use a secondary storyline uh, or something better than what they've done with uh, Nyla and Britt for a title match as far as the program. But I think when the match gets there, it'll be a better match. I, I like I, I like their match in the Eliminator um, beginning of the year. Um, 
but I think the storyline kind of stinks. But and uh, it's unfortunate what happened to Rubble. Um, it's been unfortunate a lot of injuries um, that I've seen over the last like week or so. Um, but hope Rubble gets gets well soon. Because um, you know she's a good heater for for Britt. Um, even though everyone loves her, she's a big star, right? Seemingly, uh, in the, in the, uh, or one of the biggest stars, seemingly, uh, as far as crowd reaction, uh, they don't want to boo her even when she cheats, but, um, it's unfortunate what happened to Rebel and I hope she gets well soon. Uh, I, I haven't seen what her diagnosis was, but seeing how she collapsed, seeing how her knee, how, when she, her knee hit the mat and her leg was turned outwards, I, I, I imagine that's maybe an HCL thing. I mean, I don't know, but I, hopefully she's um she'll get well soon. Um, she need to she need to take these bumps for Brit. Um, yeah. So unless I'm forgetting any, oh Christian Cage and Matt Hardy, um they're telling a decent story with that. Um, they're building a decent story towards that. I'm worried about the match with Christian. Um, you know Christian is. Christian ain't missed yet in AEW in the ring, so um, I'm worried that Mal Hardy might <laughs> might throw the no might be out here to spoil the no hitter. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Darby versus the coffin match actually. The coffin match is interesting. Um, I'm, there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors in that, it, but you know they've done good smoke and mirrors with Darby and Sting, so um, not cons- interested to see how that match goes. I'm trying to think what else is on the card to talk about uh, in the future. Hmm. I think that may be it. If I forget something, I'm sorry. Um, I'm doing this all off the top of the head. So Um, I guess from this point, we'll just transition over to um, the the team that lost the the Wednesday Night Wars. And now is on Tuesday, tucking his tail. Um, NXT. um, It is quite frustrating how they could have a just a good takeover in a, uh, in a vacuum, but a bad takeover compared to uh, other takeovers. And then immediately like proceed to give you the good shit following <laughs> what they did. Um, that tornado tag that should have been on takeover that they took off to fit in, um, Mercedes versus Zia Lee. Um, the number one contender, the fact, basically the fact that number one contendership match, um, n- number one contendership tornado tag match between Thatcher and Ciampa versus, the Grizzly Young Vets was a fantastic match. Um, it was like they didn't make tags, but it, but the way they built it, like it was basically a tag match. There was no, was no weapons. There was no cheating, um, or not cheating, but you know, there was no using weapons and turning into a hardcore match. It was basically a tag match where someone got sent out and someone would fill in the ring. It's almost like a lucha rule thing, except it wasn't with flips. It was with fists and chops and strikes and holds, and it was fantastic, I think I ended up giving it, like, four or four and a quarter, I can't remember, but it's a fantastic match, and, um, tomorrow, they'll be facing MSK for the NXT Tag Team titles, um, they did a stare down face-to-face thing on last week's episode of NXT, really interesting, like, you know, Chomp has all that history, talking about how what he does when he elevate what he does with titles he elevates them the crowd remember you know knowing the goldie knowing the uh diy run they just in agreement that dude is you know nxt first battle hall of famer and um msk has stand up to that and stand up to a lot of people that do not like them that much for some weird reason in nxt and i think by the end of it like you have a you know wasn't 50-50, but 60-40, 65-35, uh, 
better than when they were out here getting, you know, from these weird NXT hardcore fans, um, like booing them when they're baby faces, uh, tagging with other baby face stars and, uh, and trios matches. So, um, that match is going to be awesome. Um, let's see, moving on from there. Uh, I like how they got the division for the women's division tag division, uh, together. Um, EO comes back. Um, she wins a match. Dakota wants to be a champion again. Raquel's with everything. Dakota's, uh, wants to please Dakota for some weird reason. Um, she wants more gold. She wants to, she wants to become the tag champions again. Um, you have Shotzi and Ember who are the number one contenders rightfully. And, um, EO comes back and wins a match. Candice, who still has old country beef with EO, talks about how the tables have turned because now she's the champion. And obvious Hill attacked it. Hill is threatened by someone better than them. They want to attack her. Um, tying back nicely to Zoe's uh, debut match in NXT, where she gave EO a little bit of a run. Zoe comes out, makes a save. And then out comes Raquel and Dakota because Raquel doesn't want EO back here because it's only natural that EO will want a title sh- or title rematch. Um, they come out um, based off of what's happened with Dakota and Raquel and Ember and Shotzi. They come out and it's a, and you have four women all brawling it out. Um, this is also with all of the nonsense going on with, uh, the bedlam in NX inside the, <laughs> inside of full sales slash the LA fitness. Um, Regal comes out and says, Hey, you're the champions. You're going to face the eventual winner of a number one contendership match between EO and Zoe, Raquel and Dakota and Shotzi and Ember. And uh, last week, they had number one contendership match, and man, that was a blast to watch. Just, it was basically like a cross between a PWG match or a Young Bucks match and like a Stardom's Trios match, where it's just like, just fast pace, the fast pace and the the thought and and the stories that tie and link between all these personalities colliding of a Stardom match. But with like the just an innumerable amount of dives, floor dives that would be in a Young Bucks match or a PWG match, it was a great blend. Um, at the end, he ends up winning with Moonsault on uh, Dakota, even though Dakota like before then had like a just a great near fall on EO. Um, I ended up giving that match four stars. I, I enjoyed it. It's one of the more enjoyable matches I've seen uh, in uh, in WWE slash NXT um, in the last few months. Um, so you end up getting a Great American Bash, another tag title match, but for the women's titles, EO and Zoe, a just really good chemistry already versus Candice and Indy. And is I guess, you know, be prepared to add this to the EO and Candice legacy of NXT rivalries. Um so um that's 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 fun that's on deck. Um interesting what they did with all of the fighting leading to Regal teasing a retirement. He comes out. He seems so heartfelt, so emotional. You really think he's going to say goodbye. Um, and 
out comes Cross and Cross cuts him down and says, "You're not meant for this job. I told you that this is my NXT. This is my this is my ring. Um, you're pathetic." Then all of a sudden you hear that fake Simon says, and you know what it is. Samoa Joe comes down to the ring and says, "Hey, you wanted you brought me in. You wanted to discuss something with me. I'm here." And Regal says, "Well, I want to discuss this after." <laughs> Are off camera, but we discuss it here. I think I'm over in over my head. I think this this is this, this is beyond me now. This is beyond me. Uh, I want you to take over, Joe. After after uh, this, and after um, he actually went face to face with Cross, says absolutely not. But I will basically be an enforcer here. So Regal Gibbs says, if that's what you want to do. All right. Um, if you want to if you want to be the the in, <laughs> the in school suspension <laughs> teacher, sure. Um, and he says, under one rule, you cannot attack it or harm anybody. And Cross cuts his big shit eating grin, and then Rigo he gives him the hook, unless provoked. And then that face goes from a smile to a face of worry and concern. This. Like it's so funny that um, we we talk about how Triple H's vanity booking uh, people like how you know we thought that he was like vanity booking Rhea uh, and he's vanity booking Cross. But when Cross did that smile in front of the authority member's face and then it went away once it got once what he thought he had over that person got took away and it turns into scares 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 scare fear not scarce fear and. Uh, and insecurity, like it was just classic, like 2000, 2001 Triple H of just like he's he he's 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 soft. He just he he's not really about that action. Um, so I, I thought it was a nice touch, and he's been cleaning up. He's been cleaning up the culture. He's been cleaning up the locker room, and, and like a lot of people have been trying to clean up the locker room. Uh, I don't know. I bet it's a storyline. Who gives a shit about locker room culture? All these people are cutthroat assholes. Anyway. Um, there was a fight that had, um, oh, before we get to that, he accepts, Samoa Joe accepts, and then he says, so that leaves me with one question, he walks straight up to Cross, he says, what are you still doing in this ring, and it's like, I can't believe I want to see Samoa Joe carrying a cross match in 2021, like, maybe this was 2018 Samoa Joe, <laughs> and, and carrying cross right now, but like, Joe's that kind of guy on the promo, like the attitude, the the voice, the face, the scowl, like he always presents himself so well, like he'll, he, he will be like 15 years from now, he can still get you to want to buy a match, like he's that kind of guy, he just always has been that guy, um, but speaking of the matches I want to see him have, um, later on in that show, they, uh, they, they show O'Reilly and Cole going at it, per the rule, Joe's just there to separate him. He's in there to separate him. And then Cole shoved Joe. Joe didn't like it. He put he put Cole's ass to sleep. Um, so Cole's been pissed about it ever since. Um, and w- let's talk about that while we're here. Cole versus O'Reilly 2 at Great American Bash. On the go-home show last week, they went face-to-face. Cole says to him, you are obsessed with me. O'Reilly is incredulous and says, I'm obsessed with with you. 
you, I beat you. You were gone for six weeks. You came back and attacked me. Who's obsessed? And then he turns it. Uh, he doesn't turn it, but like it points out like he's really the one that's insecure. He and, and worried about his spot. Cole says, I'm the star. Ever since we've been here for four years, I've been carrying you. You wouldn't be in the industry if it was for me. All your all your high moments, uh, your tag titles, your uh, war games have been me next to you. And then he says, like, I'm the star. And he's basically going full on David Ruffin. He goes, these fans know it. Samoa Joe knows it. You know it. And even your wife knows it. O'Reilly blows it. It's about to blow his stack. Samoa Joe's in between them to stop them from fighting. Uh, O'Reilly is about to call him a POS, but piece of shit. But but, uh, Cole slaps the mic out of his hand. And then he goes to attack Cole. I'm sorry, Cole, Cole goes to attack O'Reilly. But while doing so, he almost hit Joe. But Joe, because he's the coolest motherfucker alive, apparently, he sidesteps the nonsense. He sidesteps the attack. And next thing you know, O'Reilly has Cole in the hill hook. He's screaming it, and he's telling Joe, get him off me, get him off me. You're supposed to break this up. But because Cole took, a, you know, more or less took a swing at, at Joe, Joe just gets out the ring, walks out, and tells security that's on the ramp, y'all break it up. I thought it was I thought it was a great set. I thought it was a great sell. And unless you know, like if it's going to be trouble for Cole, if he slaps on that heel hook, he just tapped. Um, I think this match will be even better than their takeover match. Like I, you know, that match is as great as it is flawed, but um, I think in a singles thing where like it's confined to just their brilliance of uh, between those two, um, you know, I think four and a half is the, the over under. That's what they do. Um, more Joe conflict. He's been going face to face with um, and interacting with uh, Pete Dunne. It's been scowl to scowl, which has been funny because like neither one of them went back down the edge when it comes to the stare down. Um, as far as Gargano, <laughs> Johnny is playing it like I want no smoke with with uh, with, with Big Joe. He got it. Whatever, whatever you say, boss. I'm good. He wants no smoke, but he is basically be, sucking up being the teacher's pet, uh, just a smarmy asshole to Regal and Joe, because he realized that like Joe has beef for all these other people that he hates. So he's like, I'm going to try to manipulate to get him to on my side to, to like me. But he's like, but Joe's smart. He's realized like I'm not putting up with that nonsense from y'all. I hate all y'all. The way t- the way to he has, he has figured out something that Regal has yet to figure out. The way to effectively uh, handle all these dudes is to realize they're all the enemy. Do none of them favors. They're all jerks. So um, he's been big leaguing them more or less. When he's been reached his hand out, ask for help. He's like, hey, um, you want to? Hey, do me a favor. Leave the office. Get out. And Joe and then uh, uh, Austin Theory and Gargano just like, radio. I'm out of here. Later. Um, but as far as Gargano, it looks like him and Cross are going to go at it pretty soon. Um, don't know it's for an NXT title, but they've been attacking each other from behind in these uh, over and over and over. So it's just a matter of time before they have a match. Uh, so I guess that means that Pete Dunn is on the back burner. I'm okay with that. Like I think Dunn should be should be the person that gets the title shot at the takeover. You know, Gargano, he's somebody you can be and move on. Like he's. He's in a utility role, so it's like, you know, put Gargano in there with 
cross, try to have a awesome match with them and move on. And if you have a great match with them, that's success. Like, I don't really see the downside in it for TV. It seems like a television match to me. Um, I guess now it's time to talk about Swerve <laughs> and Hit Row. Um, they're great, man. They're just great. And so much charisma is oozing off all four of them. Um, I like all the roles. I like that. <laughs> I like that in these tag matches, these tag match squash match that they're having that uh, with uh, Top Dollar and uh, Adonis that like Adonis is a hothead. The second you get any kind of anything on him, he's just ready just to like, you know, get a, get counted, get DQ'd on a five count. He's just that kind of mad. And he has to, and Top Dollar has to calm him down. But then Top Dollar can like, the same thing happened to him and he handles it differently. Like he'll just like beat you up as opposed to like, just push you to death, beat you to death in the corner. And, um, I, I just like that as a tag team for the future in the, in the division, um, coming up. I, I like swerve becoming the NXT champion or NXT North American champion. I thought that match that they had was very good. It was short. Um, but you know, given that the finish, I'd rather you go short and with a with a pretty lame finish than long with a lame finish. Like somebody has to stop with like and overdo it with Hills winning via these tactics. Like we get it. Like, but we want to see who is the best. And like, this is too old school stuff. Like, it's okay to beat somebody. I promise you, it will be okay. It's not in the world if someone loses one big match. I promise you. Especially, especially Bronson Reed. <laughs> um. But yeah, it was a really good match between those two. I think it was the best match those two have had in NXT, which is saying something. They've had a few matches that have been very good. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, unless I'm forgetting that Swerve was in that North American ladder match, but I don't think he was. But I, I know that uh, Gargano and Reed were. But outside of that, I think this was their best match. Um, so yeah, look into the future with Swerve. It's gonna be fun because that division has a lot of has a lot of great guys, and like he can finally get his rematch with Phantasm and finally win. Like, cause they both cheat. Like, it, you could you could make a storyline similar to the Tam and Julia storyline, where it's like, you beat me because you have a team around you. I realize I need to have my own team to then like reach your level. Like, once once you become a leader of people, then you can kind of grow as your own you know your own performer, wrestler, whatever you want to call it, sports entertainer, what have you. Um, don't know if they'll do that, but I do know that like Legato is over with the full sale LA fitness crowd. So they could switch that and make it, you know, um, baby face legato, uh, because, you know, you can see those promos that Phantasma has cut over the past, uh, month or so where he's like talking about like the future of, um, Lucia Libre and his family and what he wants to leave to his son. Like those are kind of baby face promos. Like, I understand he's, he's supposed to come cause he's healed, but like the subject matter in those are like, you want to leave something for the future for your kid? Like who, Sounds like a good guy to me, even if it's by ill-gotten means, but you can say he's an anti-hero, which is what NXT loves, so um, you can get away with that, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think that it's appropriate, and I can't wait for, like, these big takeover matches for, for Swerve, because that's a dude that is, like, in that, in that bubble of guys that have yet to really be a regular on NXT takeovers, he's the best guy that gets, you know, has been around for that has a tenure there. Like he's been around since 2019. Uh, speaking of that, the breakout tournament is back. It'll be here in either two weeks or three weeks. Can't forget which one it was, but it was definitely said two or three weeks from now. And 
Um, they, they showed highlights of Swerve and Joaquin Wilde and Grimes and Bronson Reed and Garza. Um, and it left out the winner, <laughs> Jordan Miles, because, you know, they gave that, in the words of, of, of Miss, <laughs> a friend of the show, uh, <laughs> Tanya, they gave that man a nigger shirt. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like it was cool to see like the flashback and see like, you know, it took two years, but I felt like it took less than that. But like, you know, they're there and they're steady foundational pieces of NXT. So, uh, that was cool. I, I felt like it should take one year. It should have taken one year instead of two, but we're here. And, you know, that's kind of the thing with NXT. You could, you could have said the same thing for Riddle in Keith Lee back in 2018, 2020. So, um, yeah, I feel like after a, a mediocre, not mediocre, out of there, just a good takeover, um, they righted the ship, which was like the frustrating part because we knew that that's what they were going to do at the top of the card was they were going to fix this immediately and they were going to have a Great American Bash that was going to probably kick that takeover's ass, which is like ass backwards in you know, my opinion, but it is what it is, but you know, I expect tomorrow to be a, a very good show, one of the better sh- NXT shows of the year, which is saying something because they have some of, they've had some of the best shows in all of pro wrestling this year. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not th- trying to think of anything I'm forgetting for NXT. I think that's about it. Um, yeah, so you can move on, and I guess because Rich isn't here, I will tell myself to hit the music. <laughs> I feel like it's been a few weeks since uh, the last time we updated Stardom. I think the last place we left off was the last pay-per-view from June 12th. Um, you know, we didn't do a show last week, so we couldn't preview this pay-per-view. And we probably couldn't have done that because I didn't finish getting up the go-home show until, like, Thursday. So, so much for that. Um, anyway, um, Yokohama Dream, Cinderella 2021 in summer. Yes, that is a super long pay-per-view title, but whatever. It's not it's not in native language. Um on 4th of July, uh yes, I stayed up uh until 7:30, 7:47:50 to watch it in its entirety. Um a good pay-per-view, not a great pay-per-view. Um six matches. Um four of them were at least good. The main event was a bummer, not because of the wrestling, but because there was a devastating injury. Um, but we'll, we'll get into it. Um, just talk about the build going into it. I think that the most important things, uh, one was the transition of Starlight Kid into Oedo Tai or a corporation of her into Oedo Tai over the, I think it was like six or seven shows, something like that. Um, over that time, she had basically more and more or less like more or less did not want to take part of the Oedo Tai Hill cheating tactics. Um she wouldn't second anybody uh to the ring in Oedo Tai. Um when someone would cheat, she would literally get off the apron and walk away from it. She didn't want any parts of it. Um it reached a breaking point where she ended up having uh she ended up losing a match to Azumi where uh she was in trouble 
and they did the Oedo tie charge in the corner where someone's in the corner, someone charges, they duck out the way, and then a swarm of, normally in trios, multiple uh, matches, Oedo tie swarms the person in the corner and then hits like five moves or whatever else and gets a near fall. Uh, but it's definitely a momentum changer. Anyway, um, they ended the DQ because it was a singles match. Um, at the end of it, Natsuko Tora tells Starlight Kid, none of this half, half and half stuff. Like, you've been wearing this mask that's half all black and the other half's all half colorful, symbolizing, like, you still want to, you know, be tied to stars, but you're not, you're not going back to stars. You're, you're with us. And it's time to embrace it. And they've done this in similar ways in fashions when breaking, bringing somebody into a new uh, faction. Uh, most notably that I remember with uh, Hazuki from Queen's Quest into Oedo Tai and her eventual um, turn to what she had became until she retired. Um, and this was over three weeks. It was a good, very good build. The symbolism, um, the finishes and matches. And then uh, basically by the go-home show, she's wearing the all-black mask and she was basically in her old star glittery stardom gear but wearing a big um, oedo tie purple shirt over it um the whole time and uh we'll get back to that in a second um we'll transition on to other stories uh to build up the uh the pay-per-view you had saya versus uh tam in the build up um they had been going back and forth for a while pretty much before um, she won the tournament. Um, but those two having matches and basically outpost matches, and it was very good. Um, unfortunately, um, over the weekend before, um, Natsuko, in building up her match with Utami, finished Kamatati by hitting her with a seated senton off the top rope, very similar to the Rey Mysterio seated senton that you see, except she basically, like, hit it and didn't land on her feet. She more or less hit it and basically like rode it like a wheelie roll. <laughs> she basically rode, uh, Skamatani down to the mat, like a wheelie and, uh, bruised her ribs or whatever. And she was off taken off the tour for the last two shows. Um, the week before to try to get him much time to recuperate before a match with Tam. Um, Nasco versus Utami. Um, been just basically attacking Utami at different times. Uh, during, after uh, after show press conferences, um, attacking her during matches, they actually had an outpost match that had those two in it, and it was very good. It was about the most expired I've seen uh, Natsuko Russell since like maybe since Kagetsu in 2019 uh, <laughs> uh, Grand Prix, where she beat the hell out of Kagetsu and then like lost at the very end. But um, I was actually ex- I actually had optimism for their match. Um, it just didn't, you know, unfortunate injury. Uh, I'm trying to think of other stories. Oh, main story. The most, the best story, actually. Um, the future title, uh, final between Unagi and Mina. They actually, nice bit of long form storytelling. In the beginning of this year. Mina got her nose broken and she was taken off, um, taken off shows until she came back at the March 3rd Budokan Hall show, uh, where she ended up finishing third in the Stardom All-Star Battle Royal that Unagi won, uh, by beating Yuzuki Akawa 
the first major draw in stardom. And the storyline is that Mina, when she, she basically fought her way back, <laughs> like Edge, <laughs> she fought her way back so that she could get into the All-Star Battle Royal and be the one to go one-on-one with um, with uh, Yuzapan. And that ended up going to Unagi because those were the final three, Yuzapan, Unagi, and Mina. And Yuzapan knocked out and eliminated Mina. So it was then just uh, Yuzuki and Unagi and Unagi end up winning. So she felt like she had her moment that she had been working for and fought back for two months to get back to was taken from her. Um, while she was gone, um, Unagi has gained XP, experience uh, points <laughs> in, the, in the RPG by, you know, being in that seven match trial series where she got her ass whooped seven times by uh, various stardomers from Shuri to Mayu to Julia to B to Konami to Azumi. She just got thrashed, but you can see her progressing in the ring um, ever so slightly. Um, anyway, once you got to Budokan where you have Tam winning the white belt, uh, Mina in Unagi, in the final three of the battle Royal, they went immediately into putting those three because they're the trios champions into back out into defending their titles. And Mina is one of the most improved wrestlers uh, from 2020 to 2021 in the world. Um, she is like gone from somebody that I thought was a board to watch to genuinely like being like just trusting her in tag matches. Um, she had a match a couple pay-per-views ago with Momo. That was a very good match. I'm going to give three and a half stars. And if you had told me that she was going to have a three and a half star match on a big pay-per-view back in uh, November, um, after watching for a month, I would have been like, no fucking way. But she's improved that much. Um, so hats off to her. Um, so the story is that she she had her moment stolen from her. Mina had her moment stolen from her by Unagi, her own teammate, her own faction mate, her own co-champion. And then Unagi ends up beating Shiri in the third, or I'm sorry, the uh, the quarterfinal round or the Elite Eight round of uh, the Cinderella tournament by eliminating Shiri over the top rope. So she ended up making the semifinals for the uh, Cinderella tournament. So she feels like she stole my moment She's getting more, you know, she's getting more reps than me. She is, uh, she's advancing further in tournaments than me. I'm the number two in, in Cosmic Angels. She was a distant third, and now I feel like the gap is closing. I'm, I'm feeling like I may be possibly getting surpassed. And you see them um, over the last, uh, pretty much ever since those two got announced or made it to the finals for the future, the vacant future belt, like, you see them both like at odds and they told this interesting, interesting story where it seemed like they were so at odds that they were in their latest defense for uh, the trios belts. They were going to lose right before the pay-per-view. It seemed like they were just destined to lose them. Um, but ultimately the story ended up being that Unagi ends up winning that match with, by getting the pinfall. Um, the story, the interesting thing is that like in their history together in these, in these, uh, trios matches, uh, these title defenses for the trios belts, 
it's either been Tam or Mina have, have won every match via pinfall, via submission, what have you. They've always been the person to win the match. Unagi finally wins it. Uh, and it shows like, wow, she's actually like, maybe, maybe, you know, all this insecurity that Mina has, like maybe it's there. And Mina, like after they win, like she's, she's sad. Like she starts crying. Cause she's like, I'm being surpassed. Um, and, you know, after, you know, after the match, you cut the promo and like, they start arguing with it. She's like, what's been wrong? And, you know, it comes to a point where, um, Mina's like so mean to Unagi that Unagi's like gets on the mic and like, she's about to start fighting. He's like, why are you being so mean? What has happened to you? Like, you have completely changed ever since like this, yeah, this thing has happened. And Tam's there. Tam knows all about, uh, baby face dysfunction, uh, dating back to 2019 stuff with, uh, Arissa and Mayu. And um, and Mayu being the leader, and she just let that shit boil over until they finally had that awesome match uh, in 2019, where it fi- that actually settled it. And Tam is just there, is like with the experience of like I've I've seen this before. I've in fact I've lived this before. And she calms them down, and they agree to like let it go for now until their their match um, at a pay per view. But you can still see that like they, they there's differences to be settled in the ring, and. Uh, that's pretty much the build to uh, a pay-per-view. Anyway, uh, the first match was a gauntlet tag match. Um, it's an okay match. It's not good. It's like a two and a half thing, maybe. Um, but at the end, like it's a bunch of young girls. It's like Konami tagging with, uh, I believe it's Def Yamasan or Fugigen Def, sorry, uh, the clown. <laughs> um, it had Rena. It had the Hannah sisters in it in different formations whatever else, but ultimately, um, I believe Konami in the, in, <laughs> in the, in the clown ended up winning the match. Um, and then you know, actually get into the meat, the, the meat of the show. My God, <laughs> you actually get to like, uh, the matches you, you, you were anticipating, you end up getting, um, Starlight Kid and her new look tagging with Roka, um, which is a, you know, I think it's the biggest match of her career at that point, um, versus, uh, Momo Inazumi and, Starlight Kid comes out with new gear, new mask, new new hair, new everything, and it's like a it's basically like, all right, she's always been like the female tiger mask, and now it's like okay, female tiger mask meets Selena Kyle meets Felicia Hardy, the Catwoman, uh, Black Cat from the comic books, and like I think is I think it's a really good marriage of all of those identities put together for a you know a character or whatever else in a costume. I thought I thought it was cool. Um, Azumi and Starlight Kid in the ring. You, you already know what that is. It's just excellent wrestling, excellent fast-paced wrestling. Um, Roka lately has been using a uh, some type of box to hit people over the head with. It's a hollow box. It's almost like hitting someone with a cookie sheet uh, to hit someone over the head for deciding win. Um, they tried it in this match. Momo thwarts it, and Azumi ends up actually... Momo actually kicks it into... Um, Roka, Azumi ends up rolling her up and gets the win. Uh, good match. And I'm somewhere between three and a quarter, three and a half, but not bad for a second match on a pay-per-view. Um, next match after that, you get the futures, um, final between Mina and Unagi and match is okay for the first half. And then eventually they get up and they just start throwing blows. Um, and it's very good. It's excellent, actually. Um, they tease hitting each other with their finishes. 
Um, Unagi has this crazy finish where she basically like almost has like a one arm double double hook, double underhook where she lifts you up and almost hits you in like a basically drops you in like a falcon arrow from there. Like it's it's really cool looking how she slaps it, locks it in, and then brings you under and then picks you up and drops you. Um, She uh, Mina avoided that. Uh, Mina ended up getting her into the ropes and hits a uh, an elevated from the corner uh, DDT like Randy Orton set from the corner instead of the middle of the ropes. And then she gets her up for another impl- impl- uh, implant DDT ends up getting the win. Um, Mina wants to extend her hand because she's she's just pretty much a sore loser, um, a spoiled winner anyway. That, that's the way say, best way to say it. It's a, sore, a spoiled winner because she won. Um, Unagi says it's all right because like I eliminated Shuri in the SW uh, in the uh, Cinderella tournament, so I wanna I wanna shot against her for her SWA belt, which is like that ain't what you want. That ain't what you want. You don't you, you don't want to come for Shuri's belt because Shuri will kick your fucking head off. But she she got it and uh, she says and Mina says to her eventually like when the time is right come back and get another title shot at this, another crack at this. So I think, you know, as a story between two friends or whatever else, I think, I think it's pretty compelling. Um, moving on, you end up getting Julia versus Julia and Shuri versus Mayu in Kaguma. Um, this is Kaguma's second pay-per-view. She pretty much debuted or came back like right, basically like four weeks ago. Um, she's been good. She's in there with Mayu. Obviously like you can see the skills that she's had and, what they were and um she's knocking rust off but like this match um let's just give you a backstory they end up getting this match uh for the for the tag titles after they had a match on the tour and kaguma actually schoolboy bridging schoolboyed uh julia and julia was furious so she said i want another piece at you i'll give you a title shot for it or i actually think actually i think kaguma was like i just pinned the tag one of the tag champions in the tag match Give me a tag title shot. And Julia was like, I'm going to fucking kill you because you embarrassed me. So, um, match is really good. Match is great. I, you know, especially once you get, uh, Mayu and Shuri in the ring to start just trading off wrestling, um, end up getting, uh, Julia is basically Mayu and Shuri have their own match. And then Kaguma and Julia have their own match. which is like the best start way starting matches tag matches are where people just get paired off together. Um, so there's a moment in the match at towards in like this, like the, I don't know, like the fourth, like the fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth of the match where Mayu just keeps dropping these huge, uh, forearms in the Shuri's chest over and over and over to the point where one hand is on her hair. The other one just dropping forearms in, it just keeps putting Shuri further and further into the ground to, to the mat to where, like, it almost feels like Mayu's going to pull some of Shuri's hair off. That's how violent these strikes are and how much her body's moved from these strikes. Um, Shuri, uh, Shuri fights back. Um, Mayu hits a huge uh, super kick, hits the ropes, and uh, actually a kick, a spinning back kick, uh, hits the ropes. Shuri lifts her up in, like, a fireman's carriage position and then hurls her in the air and then like drops almost like a uh, backstab or step into Mayu's gut. It was just gross. And then, uh, it, it was just awesome. They ended up having a double down. I can't remember the rest of the sequence to get out of it. But it was awesome. Uh, moment. 
and then uh, they basically get carried home on all the way home with Julia and uh, Kaguma. And Kaguma, for a person that has been wrestling for like a month and a maybe a month and maybe five weeks since she hadn't wrestled before in front of people in like six years, she was great with Julia. Um, they they traded back and forth slaps. There was a raw shoot headbutt and um on the top rope. Um, there was a tease of um a Tower of Doom spot. They uh, Mayu thwarted the Tower of Doom spot, and then later in the match, um, they do the Tower of Doom spot uh, to Kaguma. Kaguma kicks. Uh, there's a spot where it looks like they're uh. Mayu's been taken out by Shuri. Shuri's in the ring with Julia to take out Kaguma for final for the final count. Um, Kaguma thwarts it. Mayu comes back in, gets Shuri out the ring, and Kaguma ends up going for that that schoolboy. Um, and this time Julia kicks, and then at the end, um, Julia lays her out, and gets her back up, and hits a like a. Almost like a package, almost like a package brain, not about, not brain buster, like a package, trying to think. It was almost like a package fisherman buster. That's the best way to explain it. Um, it's beginning to win. Really, really fun match. I'm giving four flat stars. Um, then you end up getting the, the white belt match, Tam versus Saya, tall Saya, Saya Kamatani. And this was a fun match. Um, it wasn't a match I thought I was going to get based off of what they did in outpost, but given how beat up Saya was, I understand why I went this way. Um, at the press conference, Tam said, should we give you more time, Saya, you know, for your title defense? Because you're beating up with the ribs after uh, Nasco landed on her a couple weeks, like a week ago. And she says, nah, run it. Tam, Tam Bay says, all right. Tam put on a clinic on them damn ribs, bro. <laughs> it was it was almost like watching Tanahashi work over the legs, except it was the except it was the core. It was just work back body drop, not back body drops, but um back breakers. Um, Tam slapped on a uh, a camel clutch and then reached around Saya's side to basically do like a camel clutch with an abdominal stretch attached to it, and then with her free hand. She's throwing her elbow into the tape, her taped ribs, putting her hand into the taped ribs. Saya has to fight to the ropes. Um, there's a spot where Saya, uh rib is so bad that she takes, she goes to the outside. Tam immediately jumps to the top rope and dives uh, with a crossbody to the floor onto the ribs. Um, just, just, just great selling. Um, uh, flashback uh, and rewind to how. Saya won this tournament. In the first round, it was Tam versus Saya. Um, and Saya eliminated Tam when Tam and her on the apron. And Tam hits a suplex on the apron. And then goes to the ring and hits the ropes on the opposite side and comes back and charges. And as she charges, Kamatani hits a springboard Arabian Hurricane Rana to pull Tam out of the ring and onto the floor. Awesome spot. So later in the match, when it looks like Saya's done. She pulls out a West Coast pop for uh, for a near fall. Um, it was awesome. Or not a full West Coast pop where it's like the rotation in the air, but like a, a Hurricane Rana pinfall in the Rana Cradle for a near fall. Tam kicks out of that. 
Um, there's a spot where Tam or Tam goes for uh, the bicycle knee, the Daniel Bryan bicycle knee or the Kenta uh, <laughs> bicycle knee gets trap blocked and Saya comes underneath it and hits a big move. Um, Saya actually hits her, her finish, a well-protected finish star crusher. Star crusher is basically a Falcon arrow, a fisherman Falcon's arrow. Um, Tam kicks Saya, you know, her nickname is Golden Phoenix. She does a Phoenix Splash, drags her to the corner, goes for a Phoenix Splash. It was ugly. Um, the spot was supposed to be that she goes to land and Tam gets the feet up and she ends up, you know, getting hitting her in the ribs. She mistimed it. Tam gets her feet up. It pretty much, like, Saya completely missed her, but Tam basically hit her in the, like, neck, chest, head, whatever else. Um... Tam goes for a uh, dragon suplex. Um, Saya kicks. Saya or Tam goes up and tries to give her um, her other um, <laughs> uh, elaborate uh, suplex bridging pin. Uh, she fights Saya fights to the ropes. Um, Tam unleashes on her. It's a slap ba- uh, battle back and forth, but Tam is up bashing her and then ends up hitting her with the. Uh, his with her uh, elaborate uh, German suplex bridge pin thing for the win. Um, great match. I'm giving four and a quarter. Uh, I do. I did not detail to you how hard these two women were slapping each other. Like it's a thing with Tam in these big matches where whether it's uh, Julia um, at Budokan in, in March, whether it was the Nassapoy match back in uh, April. In these big white belt matches, eventually at some point, Tam is going to have a slap battle to the death with someone, and she's she's three and zero in those. Eventually, she's gonna lose one of these slap battles. It'll probably be the Kamatani down the line, but um, either way, really fun match. Um, I think it went like twenty minutes, twenty one minutes. Either way, um, they end up being the best match of the night. Um, I guess we go to the main event, red belt match. Utami. Versus Natsuko. Like I said, I had ruins of reasons for optimism in this match, given what their outpost matches were, given how hard Natsuko was working. And um, they were wrestling well to start off, and it went, you know, about 11 minutes. Um, I think that they end up doing this spot at the, or building towards the spot where they're wrestling, they end up outside the ring via Oedo Tashinanigans as always. Momo's on commentary. And. You have Hina and you have Azumi cornering Utami. Everybody in the other 29 members of Oedo Tire at ringside, they help cheat. The rep doesn't want to call the call the DQ in the title match main event, obviously. Um, Oedo Tai ends up beating up Queen's Quest and Utami as well until they go underneath the ring and they pull out a table. They situate the table right um, by a corner, by a post. Um, they go to lay Utami on it. Momo, who's on commentary, um, calling the last two or three matches of the show, comes off commentary to make the save for her friend who's been put on the table. They, um, She clears them out until Natsuko gets the gets her, uh, her steel rod, and she ends up hitting Utami and Momo with it. She lays Utami on the table. Utami 
Um, when she comes to the ring, she um, she pretty much does the Bret Hart-ish type of move where she comes down to the ring with a rose and she presents the rose to a female fan in the crowd. Um, at Budokan Hall, she presented the rose to Akira Hokuto. Um, there was actually during this tour, there's a time where she gave a rose to this huge Utami fan who had an Utami picture and, and Queen's Quest Utami gear and all that kind of stuff. And when she handed it to the lady, she was so geeked up. She was so happy. And then like later in the show, Natsuko actually took the rose from the lady and the lady like she's going to cry. And then uh, later on, uh, Natsuko just threw the rose out the ring and then the, the ref gave the rose back to her. So I thought it was cool that she'd get heat without like fucking up a fan's experience. Uh, it reminded me of Sasha versus uh, the Sasha, what Sasha did to Izzy uh, at um, their Iron Woman match at TakeOver. That's besides the point. Back to the lecture at hand. Um, she takes that rose from ringside that she presented to, um, I think it was the female on commentary. I can't remember her name. Anyway, takes it, b- puts it in her mouth, bites down on it, climbs to the top rope, and hits, a, hits the frog splash, or not frog splash, just a, hits a splash off top rope to the floor, to the table on the floor. The coolest moment of Nasco Torres' career that I've ever seen, by far and away. It was awesome. I'm like, okay, this match is off to a great start. We're like, we're like 10, 11 minutes in. This is great. So, Nasco's up on the apron talking shit, and um, Utami's just destroyed, and he was like, oh my god, you know, the champion, this, all, this great champion, is like on the ropes like that's the intrigue of this match now because you have to believe that nascar has a chance and they got you there with that with that spot that devastating spot nasco comes off of the apron to hit a basically a diving um foot stomp single leg foot stomp onto utami something got misjudged something got mistimed um but basically she lands uh, with her foot striking on Utami and her foot slid and as her has her right foot slid like her right knee her, her left knee buckled and as her left knee buckled she crumpled to the floor and grabbed her knee and I was like no she's a blood her fucking knee and it wasn't like some Willis McGahee um Sean Livingston freakish knee thing it was very like if you if you watch enough sports or have the unfortunate uh been unfortunate enough to see like these kind of injuries you can kind of see like if it just if knee just buckles in just a little bit at a certain angle, that's enough to make a ligament snap. And her knee buckles, she grabs it. Um, ref immediately comes down because she she fell she she crumpled. Um, ref gets the doctor. Doctor is t- testing her knee. You can see she's in so much pain. And this is the biggest match of her career. And she wants to get up to fight. She tries to get up, and as she gets up, she just she falls. Um, so you know it's no good, and uh, you see you see the ref Daichi talking to Rossi, the um, Booker, and about what to do. And you can you already know what time it is. You're just like they're about to just call this match a ref stoppage or a doctor stoppage, and you know, you know, claim or proclaim Utami the winner, like. And in stardom history has happened before. Like actually, Tony Storm won her won the red belt because Uta, uh, not Utami, but Mayu she dislocated her elbow in like seven minutes into a red belt match, um, and they just handed it over. And you can see like uh, at that time you can see like the, all all people talking back and forth what to do, and Rossi basically saying like a word about the Tony Storm, and Chris Chris Wolf is like telling her translating to her what they're telling her like you're now the red belt champion. You see the shock on her face, but 
you can see and you can see like that same look of like what my my main event title pay-per-view match got just fucked to uh utami she's like are you kidding me like we just got to the good part of the match we actually got y'all hooked and um they called for the bell they called for the bell and like Natsuko, she literally tries to jump up and like everybody else in Oedo tie literally jump on her to keep her down to keep her from trying to do it and they eventually give her the mic. I don't know what she said, but you could tell she's just hurt. She's hurt that like it's her shot. Like that's the thing in stardom. Like a why I I was so intrigued by like the the Tam run is like in stardom, if you are not a champion, you get a title shot once every six months at generally speaking whether it's a white belt or red belt you normally get a title shot once every six months so between all them tags you do uh aside from the g1 to get a big time singles match you get like you got one of those to look forward to in a six month span generally speaking and nasco was somebody that up until she got she became the leader of oedota she never got those like i think her first red belt uh shot was uh this year it that match stunk but like that was her first one, and to finally get her second shot this time for the red belt, it's on. A, it's a pay per view main event. Who knows when she's ever if if she's ever going to get a, uh, another title shot. This is the biggest match of her career, and just like they finally had a crowd hooked in a way, and like had an effort level there. And you know she's somebody that like I'm, I'm not a fan of. Like you know like I think that she is. Um, I think that. I have an issue with her effort level at times. I think that she only really tries when it's pay-per-view or when it's a main event of a, of one of these road to shows, but you put her in a, in a big spot and you see the effort level and she'll try and like, she could be a good wrestler when she wants to be. And she was bringing it and it really sucks that this happened to her. Um, I think earlier today they announced that it was in fact the ACL tear on her left knee. So that's now the third ACL ACL tear and stardom in the last, uh, since October of last year when jungle went down. Um, coincidentally, wrestling um, Natsuko. Natsuko more or less tore her ACL, tore Jungle's ACL. Um, so it sucks. Um, cause like you know, I'm not the biggest fan of her, but like you know, in Stardom, everybody has favorites, and for a lot of people, like Oedo Tai, you know, they like the shenanigans in wrestling, and Oedo Tai brings that. I think it's less entertaining now than what it was Hazuki and Kagetsu, but whatever. Like she has fans, she has people that really like her. And like for her to get a title shot, like that's a big deal. I don't think anybody was under under the uh, delusion that she was going to win, but like that's the thing. You get that's the reason why these white white belt and red belt matches are so good. You get one of these every six months at best if you're at the top of the, of the stardom. And this is like the biggest match for career. And halfway into it, after she finally got the people hooked, knee goes out. It sucks. I hope she gets well soon. Um. I don't want to see anyone get hurt. It, it sucked. It really did. Um, but I guess to move on for as far as the future coming out of this show, um, they have a cork and hall in about like <laughs> five, six hours. Um, and it's a, tr- and it's a trios title match in the main event. It's uh cosmic angels versus, uh, Queens quest, Utami, Talsai and Azumi challenging for the trios titles. Maybe, Saya gets some comeuppance on Tam that way. Uh, even though she lost singles match, she takes her um, her faction, the, the trios belts. Um, that'd be a great faction or trios team. Um, and uh, also news, you end up getting uh, the announcement of the 
Grand Prix, the five-star Grand Prix this year. 20 contestants, a full 20-person uh, round-robin tournament in two brackets or two blocks. Um, blue stars and red stars, they don't do A block, B block. You have to decide which A block and B block. Normally, me and Rich decide based off the rosters, which is the A block and which is the B block every year. Um, I guess we'll save that for uh, uh, in the coming weeks when we preview the Grand Prix, but um, NASCAR was on there. Uh, they had 19 people announced in, uh, pers- to, in a person named X to be named later. There was speculation on that could be Jungle. It could be Ren Katakor from Marvelous. It could be even Takumi Aroha from Marvelous. Uh, but let's have one need another X or something to figure out if get to 20. But they had, instead of 19 dates, they had 21 dates, which makes me think um, they were going to do nights one and two be like this two big pay-per-view type shows. And then they do the tournament like the G1 is. Um, so I'm, I'm excited when they get to it. Like it starts in, it starts, I believe July 31st and then ends, uh, September 25th, I think. But, um, we'll, we'll give you that over, over the next coming weeks, the preview on Rich back. Cause you know, that's more entertaining when Rich gets to talk about which is the A block, which is the B block. But, um, I think that, just starting out, I think that the, the block that Tam and Shuri and Utami and Konami are in is like, that's a really top, that's a really loaded block as far as like re- reliable wrestlers that you know are very good and consistent um, compared to the other block. But the other block is none of at. So I, I think it'll be fun. I think it's nice that they're actually going to have, um, have the shows similar to uh, the G1 where there's one match, there's one like tag match that's on the start the show and then you get the five matches in one block as opposed to mixing and matching um in like in previous years so i think that i think this is going to be the best uh grand prix yet which is saying something because like i they're not they're not like superior like vastly inferior to the g1 they're not um so um excited for that um but yeah i think that's the end of the show so i'm gonna wrap it up Thanks for listening, y'all. Be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening to uh, with this. Um, check out ProWrestlingTees.com slash SoulSuplex and pick up some official SoulSuplex Podcast Network merchandise. Uh, check out the Red Circle, Red Circle uh, page and drop us off with a donation. Um, and listen to other shows on the network. Um, you got this show, One Nation Radio. You got Keep It A Strong Style. You got the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Podcast. You have Grown Men Watch This Shit every other Wednesday. You have Great Consequences Podcast. You have 8 Bit Suplex. You have All Things Elite. And you have Great Launch Generator. Thanks for listening, y'all. Later.